0: Hi, I'm Edward Sree, and welcome to All Things Catholic, where real faith meets real life. Do you respond to God's will promptly with all your heart? You know, when situations unfold and you sense this is what I'm supposed to do, I think God wants me to just apologize and tell this person sorry. Or maybe God wants me to to serve in some way, to make a sacrifice or to volunteer, or maybe God wants me to address a problem, uh, address a situation with a person. And it's really hard. I'm nervous to bring this topic up, but you sense you know what you're supposed to do, but you hesitate. You hold back a little bit. You don't give all your heart. Do you want to give your heart more fully to Jesus in the day-to-day events that unfold in your life? Do you want to respond promptly to His will? Well, guess what? There's a wonderful biblical scene that's coming in the liturgy this upcoming Sunday. And in this scene, we're going to see that if we draw near to Mary, the Blessed Virgin Mary, who was so prompt herself in responding to God's will, that she's going to help us respond in amazing ways. That's what the wedding feast at Cana shows us. and I can't wait to unpack this scene with you on this week's podcast. So welcome to All Things Catholic. I'm your host, Edward Sri. I just love this time of year. You know, we just finished the Christmas season. We just had the baptism of our Lord celebrated this last Sunday. And our family really, we want to milk Christmas for all it's worth. So we had a big kind of big Christmas brunch party. We had Christmas music blaring in the kitchen. All, all the kids, everybody all hands on deck to make an amazing full brunch. And dad even went out and got donuts to celebrate the last day of the Christmas season. But but now we're moving in to what the church calls ordinary time. The vestments the priest will wear will be green, and we call it ordinary time, but it's far from just ordinary. I mean, we're going to be walking with the public ministry of Jesus, and, and, and it starts with amazing events uh, right there at the Wedding at Cana and continues all throughout the year. Uh, his powerful preaching, amazing miracles, and healing stories that we're going to see. But at the Wedding at Cana, that first miracle, I, I'm going to unpack those words of Mary Uh, Do whatever he tells you. There's a lot of Old Testament background to those words, so I want to understand what they mean, and then I'm going to look at the impact they had 2,000 years ago at that feast. I don't know if you're aware of how powerful those words were and how they led certain men to respond. In a crazy way, with with wholehearted trust and abandonment to the will of God. I, I don't know if you know that part of the story well. We're going to unpack that part of the story, and we're going to talk about how if we draw close to Mary, she helps us do that today. But first, before we get to the wedding of Cana, I mentioned last week at the start of this new year, I want to. Uh, I, I like to often begin the new year thinking about questions that my my listeners have, and it's been so fun and. 2021, getting to meet so many of you as I've been traveling around the country and I look forward to meeting many of you as I'm traveling all around the United States in these coming months ahead. Uh, But I asked if anyone had any questions, bring them in. And then so many responses already in this first week. I'm only going to get to two of them here today, but know that throughout the upcoming weeks and months, I'll, I'll be going after these questions and maybe even do a whole podcast on some of these amazing topics. But first question comes from Kathy. Kathy says, I recently found your weekly podcast, and I'm loving it. Thank you for sharing your love and dedication to God. Thank you, Kathy, for listening and that feedback. She said that uh, she just listened to the three habits to get your spiritual life back on track, and she says, quote, I've tried going to adoration in our chapel at our church in the past, and I find I'm so distracted by the comings and goings of others. We have a tabernacle in the church— with the Blessed Sacrament. Is it okay to do adoration in the big church, or do I need to be in front of the monstrance? You are so right about a scheduled prayer life. I cannot start my day without it. God bless you and your family. Thank you, Kathy. So in terms of the, the basic question here, can you pray before our Lord doing some kind of adoration, uh, even in just the the regular church setting where there's a tabernacle and you're, you're close to Him, and you find that that's helpful for you, you find that you're it's a little more peaceful, you're less distracted. I think that's that's totally fine to, to go do that. I would say there's something beautiful, something actually uh, very impactful about being in the presence of our Lord in front of the monstrance and in, in Eucharistic adoration. So maybe you can get a little bit of time there still. Maybe that's when you do—maybe you bring your petitions to the Lord at that time. So you're you, you know you, you're less distracted, you're just focused on bringing petitions, interceding for others, or maybe you pull out the Bible and the book of Psalms, and you just read some Psalms there, or you say some words of praise in your, in, in your prayer time. But but getting some time in front of the Blessed Sacrament, whether it's in adoration or uh, whether it's just in front of the tabernacle, either way is, is, is wonderful. You are drawn, near the same God, uh, so the same Jesus uh, that walked the streets of Galilee 2,000 years ago, and and, it, and it's an amazing thing. So for you, if you find it, it's easier to pray, you're less distracted in the church, go for it. Uh, but I still would encourage some time in front of the Adoration Chapel, uh, in front of the monstrance there. So a uh, wonderful question there. One other question there. This one comes from Ryan. Ryan says, my wife and I are avid listeners of your podcast, All Things Catholic. I was hoping to posit a question to you. You mentioned in your most recent episode that you have eight children. We just welcomed our second into the world, and I have to ask, how do you and others do it? (laughs) We are so tired all the time with just two little ones. I know that the stereotype is for Catholics to have large families, and my wife and I would like to have more children someday, but can hardly think about it now. All right. Well, great, great question there, Ryan. First of all, God bless you where you are at with the two children you have, and you know, the, the, I wish my wife were here. And I, maybe this is, we get a lot of questions about large family. I think we're going to do an episode together sometime here in this year about just large family life. So stay tuned for that. Well, that'll be a fuller thing. But for this particular question, uh, what I often say is, you know, you're being open to the children God wants to give you and if you are that are doing that then god is going to give you the grace if you have a third child to deal with that and then and if he gives you a fourth child he's going to give you the grace to be able to have that to still have a prayer life to still be able to get some sleep in your life you know but i would say each child while it it, it always is more it's more work there's more demands upon you Uh, there's a a priest friend of mine who often tells young moms, he says the young moms that have three kids, and I know you're not quite there yet, but you can imagine this. He, he goes up to those young moms and he says, don't stop at three. Don't stop at three. You know, because and, and he, he's heard over the many years of his pastoral ministry how hard it is at three. So, uh, and I if I have to be honest, you know, I, I remember when Beth and I were outnumbered with three. Yeah, I think that's probably when we were most stretched. I don't know if that's true for everybody, but I think that was definitely a tipping point for us. And and he says that he hears so many people despairing and thinking, I could never, it's impossible, could never have more. But then he knows from his pastoral experience, from the moms who did have more, that it does get a little easier. I should always say it's always the Im- image I have in my head is like, this is like every new child is like, you know, you get like a new hundred pound brick put upon your shoulder. And then if you get to like the fourth or fifth child, it's still more weight, but maybe it's not a hundred pounds. Maybe it's only 70 pounds. Cause we've done this now we've done this two or three times now. And and, and we kind of know what it's like to have a baby. And and the older kids actually start to help. What my wife often says is by being open to life and having more children, you grow your own help. <laughs> and, and it's true. I mean, I remember our kids when, when they would turn six or seven, they were able to start helping in the house. Like my little Eleanor has her little chores. She helps with the dishwasher and things. And you know, it's like, I know it's really small, but it's training her and exercising that muscle of service. And, you know, when when they're eight or nine, they might be able to help a little bit more. And then wow, once they get into the teen years they can babysit. Then when you get drivers, that's a whole other level of help in the house. Uh, So my wife often says that you're growing your own help when you're really open to life. So hang in there. God bless you where you're at right now. But also trust that if God does bless you with another child, he will give you the grace. He really will. And you will find incredible blessings. It, 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 you will you will have less sleep, you'll have less time, you'll have less money, uh, less freedom in many ways. But you will have more love. Uh, and I wouldn't trade anything in the world for all of the demands of of big family life. It's been it's just the the greatest blessing. Just just. Just in these last few days here, as my children have been home for the, the we have two older ones in college, and just the conversations we have together, um, the 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 love between the siblings, I you know, and yes, we're we're a normal family. We don't all get along all the time. We bicker, we fight, we complain. Yeah, just like everyone else, but there is real deep love in the house. And I I it's a I was sitting around the table and just admiring you know, all of our the, the conversations among the siblings that we've been having in the last several days. And it's a foretaste of heaven. It really is. So, all right, there we go. Well, let's go back to Cana. That's another foretaste of heaven, that great miracle story where Jesus changes the water into wine. But uh, we all know Mary intervened there, and she says those words to the servant. Again, there's so much to get into in the Cana story. You know, we could talk about, you know, Mary noticing the ran out of wine. We talk about the word woman when Jesus calls us about the woman. I've done podcasts on that before and so many things. I'm going to zoom in on John chapter two, verse five, where Mary says, do whatever he tells you. She turns to the servants and says, do whatever he tells you. Now, I want to do two things here. First, I want to unpack biblically what, what do those words mean? Those words are echoing something from the Old Testament. And it's important we know the background of that. And then secondly, I want to talk about the impact of that those words had on those servants that 's a part of the story that 's often not told and I think it's it 's so practical for our lives if we want to be men and women who grow in our response to god 's will we want to be a, if we want to be men and women who are attentive to god 's will and give our hearts to doing god 's will uh, stay tuned we 're 're really going to unpack that here in this scene of Cana uh, that comes up in the Sunday reading this upcoming Sunday at mass but first of all what do, the, what do these words echo on, on one hand uh, some scholars bring out that it echoes the words that were used in the Old Testament for the people of Israel, when the people of Israel would respond to God's word in covenant obedience, like at Mount Sinai. In Exodus 19, you know, they get the Ten Commandments, the words of the covenant are announced. And then in Exodus chapter 19, verse 8, the people say, All that the Lord has told us, we will do and the same thing when they ratify the covenant they have this big dramatic covenant ratification ceremony where the words of the covenant are spoken and the people respond in Exodus 24 verse 3 saying all that Yahweh has told us we will do and, and so you see that uh, multiple times at Mount Sinai when Israel's responding to God's word and and sealing themselves in in covenant giving their yes They're loving yes to God to commit to follow him. They say, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And then when they renew their covenant, many century, you know, many years later in Joshua chapter 24, verse 24, they're in the promised land and they make a big covenant ceremony and they say, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Many centuries later, when Nehemiah comes back and they're rebuilding the temple, they're rebuilding Jerusalem in Nehemiah chapter 5, verse 12. Again, he gathers, gathers the people. He reads the words of the covenant and the people respond, all that Yahweh has told us we will do. And so some biblical scholars have pointed out that Mary, when Mary says, do whatever he tells you, it's as if she has on her lips, the profession of faith that Israel made at Mount Sinai, that Mary has on her, on her lips, this, the, the words used to, to commit yourself to, to, to God in the old Testament, that Mary's being presented as a model Jew, a model of faith representing Israel. And I think that's amazing. But I think there's something even more amazing in the background. I, I love all that theme. I've, I've all those ideas in that theme. I've written about them and support them. But I think there's something even more profound going on here. I think that Mary is echoing another passage earlier in the Bible in Genesis chapter forty-one, verse fifty-five. Do you remember the story of Joseph of the Old Testament, the one who had those dreams, and his brothers hated him? The brothers threw him into, you know, into a pit and then put, sold him into slavery, and, and he becomes a slave in Egypt. But then ends up uh, kind of being Pharaoh's right hand man. And and he's in charge of you know telling Pharaoh to store up all this grain because a big famine is gonna come. And if we store up grain now, we'll be able to feed not only our own people, but all the nations. Do you remember, do you remember that Joseph in the Old Testament? Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat, maybe you're, you're familiar with that musical and all, but anyway, that biblical story in Genesis of Joseph, uh, it's fascinating. Joseph becomes the number two man in Pharaoh's kingdom in Egypt. And he's in charge of distributing the grain and you know what Pharaoh says about Joseph? He, Pharaoh tells all of his people, all the Egyptians, do whatever he tells you. He tells the people, do whatever Joseph tells you. Do whatever he tells you. That's exactly what Mary says. And, and think about this, Joseph, Joseph is like, like Jesus. Joseph is, is, is fascinating. You know how old Joseph was when he began? His, his reign as the number two in command, the number two guy in all of Egypt. He was 30 years old. You know how old Jesus was when he began his public ministry, when he began his first miracle at Cana? You know how old he was? He he was 30 years old. Luke's gospel tells us he begins his public ministry when he's 30. And what, what happened when he was 30 and he began his public ministry, performs his first miracle there at Cana? What was Jesus doing? Jesus was providing. He was providing for all the people there at the wedding feast when there was a time of lack. Like they ran out of wine, and so he needed to provide an abundance of wine, just like Joseph in the Old Testament provided an abundance of grain in a time of great lack. <laughs> and, and so both of them are 30 years old when they begin their, their big reign, whether you're Joseph or in the Old Testament, prefiguring Jesus, they both were 30 years old. Joseph provided an abundance of grain in a time of great lack, a time of famine, and Jesus will provide an abundance of wine, 120 gallons of wine in this time of great lack when they thought they ran out of wine. And what does Pharaoh say of Joseph? Do whatever he tells you. What does Mary say of Jesus? Do whatever he tells you. Isn't that cool? So I, I think that's that's the big background there. But for our purposes, to think about the story and what happens here at Cana, I mean— that this part of the story everyone focuses in more on Mary and the miracle itself and all that but but I think the impact of Mary's words could be uh the most important practical takeaway from the story we're going to encounter this Sunday the the gospel story of the wedding at Cana put yourself in the scene it's just an amazing story just imagine okay they run out of wine and you're you're one of the servants and you're just watching the story unfold and and you see this woman, Mary, going to Jesus. There's a lot of, you know, it's kind of intense. And then all of a sudden the woman comes up to you and says, do whatever he tells you. <laughs> and, and and you're like, okay, who's?" And so you do what Jesus tells you. What does Jesus want you to do? He wants you to go take the jars that were used for the Jewish rites of purification. So these are stone jars used for ritual washings, okay? And then go fill those with water and fill them to the brim And take them to the steward of the feast so that he can serve this water from the ritual jars, you know, the jars for purification and serve that water from those jars to the wedding feast. Thinking you can fool everyone, you know, instead of really good wine, we're going to have water from these dirty jars. (laughs) So uh, that, that would just take a lot of faith. If you were those servants, I mean, you're thinking this is crazy. Why, why would I do that? It reminds me of something Mother Angelica once said. Mother Angelica once said, uh, the founder of EWTN, she once said, unless you're willing to do the ridiculous, God can't do the miraculous. <laughs> and uh, St. John Paul II, you know, he, he made a similar point when reflecting on this very scene. He said that these words, do whatever he tells you in this scene, they invite us to trust without hesitation. To trust, even when you can't see clearly. What's the purpose of this? Why? Why are we doing this? This doesn't make sense. To trust, especially, especially when we can't. We we're not sure what it all means. Think about that again. You put yourself in the scene. It is absolutely insane to go fill up fill up these jars for ritual purification fill up these dirty jars with water, and then go serve serve them, thinking you can fool everybody that they're going to think it's wine. It's crazy. But yet, as JP2 says, they were invited to trust without hesitation, even when it didn't make sense. And many times, God may call us to just trust him, that it's going to work out, even though we can't see, we're not sure, I mean, how many times in life have you ever had this experience where like you're really worried about something? Oh my goodness, this is going to be so hard. I've got to do this or have this conversation or I've got to, you know, volunteer for this or, you know, stop working, you know, or stop volunteering at the parish or you know, leave this job for another job, whatever. And, you, and you're and you worried about in the moment, what's it going to be like? What is it going to mean? How's it going to work financially? Or, you know, what are people going to think? I mean, you could just be so weighed down by your own troubles and then you get into it and you realize it wasn't really as bad as you thought it was going to be. It wasn't as hard as you thought it was going to be. Uh, and there were so many blessings in it and such peace in moving ahead. You know, when we really follow God's will wholeheartedly, and when we respond promptly like these men did, God really blesses us. Let's take a look at these servants. You know, if you take a look at what they do in this story, it's, it's pretty impressive, but it's very subtle. Listen to how this story is told. It's a strange way, a strange way to tell the story. But I'm going to read it to you. Pay attention here. So this is uh, John chapter 2, verses 7 through 8. It says, Jesus said to them, fill the jars with water. And they filled them to the brim. He said to them, now draw some out and take it to the steward of the feast. So they took it. Now, you might not think that much of that at first, but that's a, that's a strange way to to tell a story. Like if 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 I was telling, giving you an account of something that happened in the class I just taught. I taught a class on the Gospel of John just this last week, and I said to you, I I asked a student if uh, at the break if they could go to the cafe and get me a cup of tea, and they brought me back a cup of tea and filled it to the brim, and then I asked them. If they could get me some honey for the tea, and they went and got me some honey, like why? Why am I? Why am I doing? I, I I'm trying to emphasize that the student did exactly what the professor asked them to do, right? Uh, like I I asked them to go do this, they did it to the brim. I asked them to go do this, and then they did it. It's highlighting their obedience, and I think that's what we're seeing here is that the servants are being portrayed as faithful disciples. That when Mary says, "Do whatever he tells you." they really do. They do whatever Jesus tells them to do. They, Jesus says, fill the jars, and they're obedient. They filled them to the brim, and then he says, take it to the steward, and they took it. In other words, Mary said, do whatever he tells you, and that's exactly what the servants did. They did exactly what Jesus told them. They're presented as model faithful disciples. In fact, and here's the most fascinating part of the story. We'll close here, is that the language used in the Greek to describe these servants there isn't the normal word that you would use to describe uh, a slave, like a household slave that you might have, and, and and they might be the ones doing it. It's not that word douloi; it's the word diakonos. Diakonos. You might hear the word deacon in that word. <laughs> That's where you get the word deacon. Diakonos. And in John's Gospel these diakonois at the wedding feast at Cana, they're presented not as ordinary household servants. In John's gospel, that's the key word used to describe disciples. Disciples, in fact, later on in the gospel story, in in John chapter 12, verse 26, Jesus says, if anyone wishes to serve me, diakone, let him follow me. For wherever I am, my servants, diakonois, will be. So in other words, whoever serves Jesus, follows Jesus, in other words, who is a disciple of Jesus, they are described as diakonois. And that's the exact same word John's gospel uses right here at Cana to describe these servants. You see, you might've thought that these were just like kind of background characters. You know, the main characters are Mary and Jesus. Of course, those are the two main characters, but these diakonois play an important role. You know who the diakonois are? Ultimately, it's meant to be you and me, you and I, are we going to be men and women who respond promptly to God's will? Do we do whatever Jesus tells us? Do we do whatever he tells us? Do we trust him? Do we trust him, as JP2 says, without hesitation? So when we sense, you know, we're called to discipline that kid. You know, this kid needs discipline and we keep, you know, just, just being wishy-washy and not really firmly laying down the law. Do we trust that if we, we, we discipline him, it's actually going to go better? Or are we afraid? Well, how's the kid going to respond? What's going to happen? Or maybe it's, it's the ob- opposite. Maybe Jesus is telling us, you know, it can't be just about the rules. You just need to spend a lot of time with this kid. And you're thinking, oh, I've got, to, I'm too busy. I don't really know. And you're, you're hesitant. But deep down, you know, I need to spend time. Don't hesitate. Trust. Be prompt. Do whatever he tells you. <laughs> maybe in the office there's somebody that you need to have a conversation with. They're not responding. They're not, they're not performing well, and you just keep ignoring it. You keep you know, just hoping it's somehow going to get better, and you, you just need to address it. You know it. You know it deep down, but you're afraid. Be prompt. Respond. Do whatever he tells you. Maybe Jesus is asking you to pray more, you're not praying really. Uh, you don't have a consistent prayer life, and and you've been thinking about it. You've been pondering it. You're you're wondering. Oh, I don't know how I could fit it in. Maybe I'll start next week. Maybe I'll start next month. Now is the time. Do whatever He tells you. Maybe there's something you have to stop doing. That you you're doing something that is is not good for a Christian. You complain too much. You're always whining and complaining, or you're you're too attached to food. You're too attached to a certain show that you shouldn't be watching. Uh, or maybe you treat someone in your family not well, and you don't show them the appreciation that they deserve, and you don't honor them. You treat them with disrespect. It's time to make the change now. Do whatever he tells you. You know, turn to Mary. Whatever that is that you're sensing that maybe God is asking you to do, and you're a little nervous about it. You're a little hesitant about it, you're you're scared, you're not sure how it's all gonna work out. Turn to Mary. Say a hail, Mary, right here, right now. You can you can as soon as this show closes, just say a hail, Mary, and trust this to Mary. Tell Mary, say, Mary, I, I want to make this change or I wanna act in this way. I, I wanna respond to what God is asking. I'm just a little unsure. I'm a little scared. I need help, Mary. Ask Mary to help you, and she will help you to do whatever you. He tells you, if you draw near to Mary, she who gave her heart wholly, perfectly, promptly in obedience to God, she has a heart for you and her son. She will pray for you, and those prayers will be powerful, and we will become like those servants at the wedding feast of Cana, doing whatever the Lord tells us. Well, thanks for listening. If you want to send your questions in, you can send those to me at info.edwardsree at gmail.com. That's info dot at gmail Thanks so much and God bless.